Previously, I'm out of the menu. So we assume you have good dance moves then. Well, I, I don't know if not. Is it a, a, you want to ask me or Tommy? I, I, well, well, you're both Tommy, so. I just assumed if they didn't read the credits that I'm Jeff Picard. You know, if you want me to play Cold as Ice by Foreigner, I can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> no. Just listen to the kick drum on that and ride like the wind. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back, everyone, to part two of our conversation with Tommy Taylor, drummer of Christopher Cross. Uh, John, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. I love talking about drummers. You know me. Yes, I know. Um, And it was a good chat so far. We uh, didn't have any official flags thrown on us, although we should have because all of the corrections and embellishments that Tommy was able to make to our our first episode where we did the album focus on the Christopher Cross album. Well, second half is where you pull out all the stops, you know, whether you're ahead or behind. This is this is the time, you know, you got to seal the deal. So uh, I did find to, there was some thought-provoking stuff in the first half, though. Um, one of the things that caught my attention, and this is not to throw a flag on Tommy at all either. This was just uh, hmm. something that in the moment caught my attention because I uh, it was a little unexpected. He said that in his mind there were three essential pop piano players and you remember what the which ones they were oh geez i didn't know there was gonna be a quiz i haven't even studied <laughs> all right uh hold on well my, one's gotta be michael right yep right oh martian right and then right. um was one um was one david foster no that's no. the wrinkle is that the other two were floyd kramer which i understand uh-huh. you know from the little uh southern from background he has it. yeah <laughs> oh, no, no, that's a different Kramer. That was Cosmo Kramer. Yeah, okay, yes. go ahead. Um, yeah, and then who was the Elton, other one? Who was the Elton th- John was the other I one. I figured as much, yeah. Yeah, and it, immediately I expected him to say Foster, and then it wasn't, and I thought, hmm. But it's not like I'm gonna I'm calling him out at it, but it was just, um, it's funny how Foster doesn't come to mind immediately as a piano player as much as he does a producer. That's more my takeaway from yeah, it. Yeah, I agree with that. And then um, right or wrong. speaking of, uh, you know, he was talking about Rob... Uh, when Michael Omardian started playing more and more piano, Rob got, quote, relegated to playing Rhodes and synths. I'm like, relegation? That's the yeah. dream job right there, baby. <laughs> yeah. Get to fiddle around with that stuff? In the Premier League, what's the opposite of relegation? That's what it should be called. Promotion. Promotion, yes. Promoted yeah. to E-Rhodes. Yeah. yeah. And Tommy got a ding. He got he got his own little personal ding when he said that uh, Omardian's time was so good, you just have to listen to him because he's cutting the wake for you. Ding, ding. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Um, small drums tuned very low. That was something that I did not expect. He talked about his drum kit being very tiny toms and kick drum. And um, they don't sound small. And that's, um, no. that's part of the magic of that sound. So that was cool. What else was there? Oh, oh, oh. The um, Remember we were discussing who the uh, soloist might be on Words oh, of Wisdom. I thought it sounded like an analog of uh, Steve Lukather, but not quite Steve Lukather. And then you suggested it might be Chris himself. I did. It turns out it was true. Yeah, based on the idea that he was um, – that it didn't – you know, I, I don't want to sound insulting. It didn't sound as refined as a session player. It sounded like a guy more going for it out of gut than really bringing all of his, quote, theory into it, where you, you'd expect the perfect articulation from someone like Graydon or Lukather. And I thought, eh, maybe that's uh, Christopher Cross himself. Turns out it was. So, What tune was that again? Oh, that was a, yeah, 
Words of wisdom, the last one. Yep, words of wisdom off another page. That's right. Yep. Right, well, right. as you recall, I was quite complimentary of Christopher Cross's guitar playing on the Christopher Cross album, as was, like, months later, Rick Beato did a whole episode on the guitar outro solo in, is it uh, Ride Like Ride the Wind? Like the wind. Yeah. yeah, they sort of isolated it and boosted it, and he said what a uh, crime it was that it was so buried, and uh, he, he saw the... Um, the same thing that listener Mike did, where he said there's some Terry Kath influence in that solo. So Yeah, that was weird because we had a conversation with listener Mike not two weeks earlier, yep. and he brought up the Terry Kath connection. That was crazy. And we yeah, don't think so. he knows what he's talking about, so it turns well, out he, he does. usually doesn't. Yeah, but usually that time, doesn't. Blind squirrel. Listener Mike uh, did ask us, though, um, how he could support the podcast. So if you <laughs> will indulge me, I will give you uh, – here's my best recommendation on the okay. easiest thing, the, the cheapest way to support us is to um, like so – first of all, subscribe to the podcast and the player of your choice. So. Right. Uh, and then rate and review. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, you can hit the button. It, the, only the five-star button works, so just click that one. Right. You might as well go straight it, for it. it. Oh. Yeah. And then uh, write a review. So all of that stuff helps other people discover the podcast. And that, of course, is free. And anything you do on Facebook, like, comment, all of that stuff is much appreciated. So I just thought I would. Otherwise, we're just going to quit. So there's that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but last, well, as long as I'm self-indulging, last little bit, I said, if you wanted to, uh, we do have a, a merch store that is mostly promoting Yacht Rock itself, just the music and the culture, not really us. So <clears throat> a portion of those proceeds go to us. And last but not least, uh, some people have chosen to actually promote, I'm sorry, support the podcast in a way like you would with Patreon. So if you go to anchor.fm and find our podcast, you can donate a dollar or something monthly or whatever. So that is much appreciated. So shout out to those who have done that. And uh, otherwise, like John said, he's th- nice podcast you have here. Something uh, be sure something <laughs> happened to it. <laughs> yeah. And it, <laughs> it uh, an easy way to find it is just yachtrockpodcast.com. That takes you to the anchor main page, right, Tom? It, uh, actually, that goes to our website, but you can find the right. anchor page yep, right. that way. Okay. So. Uh, all right. Well, enough of that self-promotion. Should we get back into the conversation with uh, Tommy Taylor? Yes. As I recall, I was uh, about to give a recommendation on a vinyl purchase for any of our listeners that love vinyl, and I think it went a little something like this. I got to give a, a one recommendation, though. Um, I'm a big vinyl listener still, and I was actually kind of boned up a little bit on uh, that album last night. And for people looking for a new copy, a really good sounding copy, uh, the reissue by Friday Music that came out probably five, six, eight years ago, something like that. But it's 180 gram and it's really well mastered. So if you're looking to get a new copy of this gem, look that one up. Cool. I, I noticed I'm going back to what you guys said before uh, about the mastering. Bobby Hada was a staff mastering guy at Warner Amigo Studios. That's why he did it. That's that's where he came from, and he was great. He did a lot of a, a lot of Warner product. What was the track that was cut from that um, session that just we just found later on, John, um, from the Christopher Cross album? Was there a, a cut that's out there? Is it is it Marianne? Yes, oh, that's probably it. That's it. Okay, Mar- Marianne was uh, Marianne was a song that was in the first set of demos that I recorded, and we had that was the other song that Picaro tracked uh, that we didn't use, and uh, we later re-recorded it for the Yamaha International Song Festival. 
1980. And so it was released as a single in Japan. Okay. Yeah, it was always one of my favorites. I, I mean, I don't know that that's the best track of it that we could have bought, ever cut. It, it, I mean, it always bothers me because it rushes a little bit, mm. but, you know. But uh. I, I had a question for you that I'm hoping I'm not picking at a, uh, a scar here, but um, I just I can't help notice when we get to the next record, another page, there's a lot more studios uh, musicians, multiple yeah. drummers. You've got Steve Gadd, Jeff Beccaro, um Andy Salmon still on bass, but you've also got Mike Picaro, Abel Boreal, Lukather comes in. So, well, yeah, and it's very convenient because, you know, I mean, there was, you know, obviously there was a real struggle there. And I think Chris was struggling with the whole thing, too, because, I mean, you know, I mean, he had become. He had become Christopher Cross, whether he wanted that or not. And he also was very enamored with those studio guys. And, you know, I mean, he wanted them to play. I mean, and, and, and we had, you know, I mean, we had all kind of personally drifted apart a little bit. He was living in L.A. I was living in Austin. So was Rob and Andy. And, you know, I mean, it was just, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, there's a, it's a sordid tale. But, I mean, it, it kind of is what it is. Um, at that point, it's kind of convenient because they didn't really list the track information on the record if i recall so you don't really know who played on what i think that was intentionally done so that it wouldn't take away from us but i mean i know what i played and what i didn't play i played on two songs you know and andy andy and i played on two songs one of them was think of laura Mm. think of laura was recorded long before that record was ever started Chris and I have sort of an interesting, you know, we haven't had the best relationship, uh, you know, through through the years, but but we're we're friendly. And I mean, he's told me on many occasions that that's his favorite track. Mm-hmm. That's his favorite drum track, you know, uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, that was done. You know, obviously, you know, the story about uh, his girlfriend's best friend, Laura, who yeah. was killed and everything. And uh, he was in Austin and he called up and said, I got the song I want to do because I want to give it to Paige, you know? And it's like, okay, well, cool. So we just went down to Picasso Street where we recorded everything that we'd done before we got the record deal and everything. And we cut that one night straight ahead and it was never supposed to be on the record. It wasn't cut for the record, you know, but you know, he was short of material and it was a good track, you know? So that's kind of how that ended up being on there. And so that's, that's the original format. And that's not, you know, that's, I don't know what they what they did on the keyboards later, but that's basically Rob and Andy and me and Chris, just like we always were, you know, back to the band sort of thing. Um, Are you willing to reveal what the other tune is off that record that you played on? Uh, deal them again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Deal again was, you know, that's a story that most people don't know about. You know, obviously that's that's a co-write with Chris, which would be, except for Arthur's theme, which was not really in his control. That's the first co-write that he ever did on a record. Um, he didn't write the song per se. Um, 
it's going back a few years. The band that I was talking about that was managed by uh, our manager was called Texas, not the ones that later had the hits, but they were called Texas. They were from Fort Worth and very dear friends of mine. Uh, and they were working to get a record contract as well. And they weren't having a lot of success. They had a lot of great original material, but maybe it just wasn't quite in the pocket of what the record companies were looking for. So um, they were going to do some uh, some sessions, too. And Tim, our manager, asked Chris to produce their sessions. And of course, I'm their biggest fan. And uh, I asked Chris, I said, what songs are you going to cut? And he gave me a list of songs and Deal Em Again wasn't on there. It was a brand new tune for them. And I said, what about Deal Em Again? He said, what about it? I've never heard of it. I said, well, you need to hear it, you know. Mm -hmm. So he requested that they give him a copy, a live copy of Deal Em Again from one of their shows. And he loved the chorus, uh, which I did, too. Uh, and but he wasn't that enamored with the with the verse form. So he decided he would rewrite the song, you know, rewrite the verses, the lyrics and stuff and keep the chorus. And then they went in and recorded it. So it was first originally recorded by Texas for a demo to shop the record companies. Hmm. Uh, and then th there came a point where at the, when we were going to do that Yamaha International Song Festival, that was one of the songs that was up for up for debate as we might present to them because we needed something. So we cut a demo of that in Austin and it just ended up being in our in our live shows. Chris liked the song. We started playing it. And so when we went to do the new record, he was lacking in up tempo material. Uh, you know, um, to be real honest, I mean, it's just a thing that happens sometimes. And, and we needed an up-tempo song and we had been playing it. He said, let's cut the album again. So we cut it. And that was really the first song on that session that we cut and got a track on. And shortly thereafter, you know, the, but within a couple of days, we, you know, Andy and Andy and I weren't tracking on the record. Mm -hmm. um, I really like that one. That was one of my favorites yeah. from that record. That's kind of funny. But, you know, the, beauty, the beautiful thing is, is that it made it made May some money. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, he was a guy's a great great friend i mean you know gary is still a friend of mine the drummer and and i you know frankie gilkin was the guitarist he was in a group uh, a, a heavy one of the earliest metal bands called bang that had a number of records on capital and and uh you know they were they were wonderful guys wonderful wonderful people and you know i wouldn't have gotten the christopher cross gig if it wasn't for them i wanted that you know i i couldn't be in their band because gary was the drummer so i told tim if you find anybody else that's just serious get me the gig. there you go yeah <laughs> yeah another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I have a small confession to make. Actually, it's a large confession. Um... I, I guess this serves as a way of kind of moving along subject matter-wise, too. I did not have a great amount of familiarity with Eric Johnson's material. In fact, to the point where, you know, you couldn't escape Cliffs of Dover for a while. And that gave me, I thought that all of, Chris, or all of uh, Eric's records were instrumental lead guitar records, you know, in the form of Satriani and that kind of stuff. It wasn't until actually fairly recently that I realized how much vocal work and stuff he does and, you know, just really enjoyed the records. But... Yeah, Eric, um, you know, I mean, we were 
I've known Eric since I was 13, like I said. And, you know, I mean, he was in a fusion band. He actually replaced Tomas Ramirez, the sax player, as the lead instrument <laughs> in a fusion band that was kind of a la, you know, early McLaughlin, that kind of thing, called the Electromagnus. And, uh, you know, I used to go see them all the time. The keyboard player is Stephen Barber, who also worked with Chris uh, on our last tour that I did with Chris McCross. He was the, se the second keyboard player. Um, and uh, he left to go to music school in, in New York. And Eric started playing with the same bass player and drummer, Bill Maddox and Kyle Brock, and doing more of his vocal type of songs. And uh, I became an even bigger fan. Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, but Eric wasn't, you know, he he grew into a better singer. He didn't start out as a singer. Uh, he was so great on the guitar, but he was kind of trying to front the band, but not as successfully as you might think in the early days. And actually, I wanted to be his his Rod Stewart. That was kind of my next move was to be the lead singer for the Eric Johnson. Yeah, band. OK. You know, and there were even gigs where I actually sat in and did like uh, going down and stuff like that. But, you know, it didn't really it never really came to pass. And then I ended up getting the drum slot, which I never thought I would. That wouldn't have been in my wheelhouse at all. Coming from as simple as I played with Christopher Cross to being, you know, as 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 wordy of a drummer, I guess. Is a, <laughs> well, the fill when you enter on Cliffs of Dover is a great air drummer moment. So I love. <laughs> <laughs> I have to confess, a lot of that material was already kind of arranged before I got there. Uh, and I was just covering what somebody else had already done. And that's one of the a perfect instance of that. But yeah, I had to make it my own. You know, the drummer that had done this, it was a much jazzier player than I am. And so I kind of had to do my own rock version of some of that stuff. So. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to hear earlier, earlier, Tommy, you said that you were more of a straight ahead rock drummer. You want to hear some banging. Listen to uh, John. You sent me this Tones, which is the first studio album by Eric Johnson. Yes, yes. There is some rock and kit in that. In the, It's 1986, so we're starting to get to a little bit bigger sounds. Yep. And, yeah. man, the grooves on that record are outstanding. And they're a little more hard-hitting than the Christopher Cross stuff, right? Oh, definitely. You know, it's just a different thing. You know, it was a completely different style of music. I had to kind of just reinvent myself. You know, the thing about Eric is he really loved uh, the experience, you know, Jimi Hendrix experience. So Mitch Mitchell looms large in his legend. And, I, you know, we grew up on Hendrix and Cream. And so it was kind of like, well, can you just play a lot like Mitch? I went like, well, I used to when I was 10, you know, so, yeah, I, I just kind of start doing that again. And I would never play it. He never would. He, I, I could never play enough fills for him. He said, could you just play a whole lot more fills? And we're like, man, I just got him already playing all the time. You know, I said, no, just play more. You know, so I just started playing, you know, and, and developed a whole other style, you know, that kind of went along with what he did. <laughs> I don't know what's more unusual, John, asking a drummer to play more fills or meeting a drummer that says I've already played I, I've enough. I've never heard that once in my <laughs> life. This is the first time I've ever heard that. <laughs> Real juxtaposition, because like I said, from Gary Osher, who played with Texas, I mean, the guy, I mean, he would never play. He could go for a two, three songs and not play a fill, you know, I mean, he played like Al Green, like Al Jackson did on the Al Green records, you know. So from that to kind of a Hendrix thing, it's like a, there's a big, uh, you know, a big space there where you can kind of re reinvent yourself. But uh, I, wa I wanted to talk a little bit, I'm, if we've got time, you know, we do. you guys brought up uh, Minstrel Gigolo as being kind of an odd track. And, uh, you know, that was, 
you know, that we'd never heard that song before. And that's the second take you ever that we ever we ever played. It It was never. I mean, we went to dinner one evening. um, Things were a little rocky there because, you know, we'd been so close. And yet, you know, some of the tracks we were having a hard time getting, you know, sailing being the, the major one. I guess there was some something in the ethers that inherently we knew it was really important to have that song right but we didn't have any idea why because yeah. it didn't make any not going to be a single yes yeah, yeah um but uh you know not being able to cut it you know when you're with your friends you know i mean so you're cut your, your chums you've been you've been in the van together for three years you know you've weathered all these storms and it's like now you're on the spot you know and I, you can't get the track you know it's tough Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and we got all these new things happening with the studio and Omardian and it's mm-hmm. L.A. and it's a lot of Warner Brothers, a lot of pressure. You know, I'm a 22 year old kid. I'm, you know, I'm, I, and I'm and pretty naive. And um, so we went to dinner and Omardian's a family guy at that point. You know, he, he goes home at six. I mean, he's he's gone home to, to Stormy and, and, and Christopher, you know, and, and uh, so we decided we'd just go back down to the studio. You know, we didn't have anything better to do. We had it blocked out. So, you know, there's somebody there doing maintenance. So we just went there and Chet's there. And Chris just tuned into that tuning that he uses for sailing. And he just started playing that riff. And we just jumped in and started playing it. And before and Chet's about to lose his mind trying to find some tape to throw up there to capture whatever <laughs> we're doing. And he didn't capture the whole first pass. And uh, he just said, guys, you just got to play that again. You know, so we listened to it and uh, and said, OK, so we went out and played it again. And that's the track here. Oh, my goodness. And that's that's the band, the real band. That's Chris, Andy, Tommy and Rob. That's it. Mm, you know, okay. we played that song. We had never heard it before. I mean, I'd never heard it before at all. Maybe Rob had heard some inkling of it because Chris would play him things. But we just played that start to finish and just did that. It's just a jam. And Chris sang it. All the words were just like that. And, um, you know, Rob had been in the backseat for a long time on the sessions. This is right at the, at the end, pretty much. We may It may have been before we finally got sailing again. But he had been watching Michael. And he was very enamored with Michael's playing on all of the records that he had done, you know. And he was, he, he was a quick study. And he went, oh, I see that. That's what that's that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And he went back in and that was the new Rob Muir. Oh, nice. And he his track is brilliant. I mean, that's that's a whole that's a reborn Rob Muir. It's like a, an epiphany. And he's just he nails that track. And that's not an overtone. That's a, I mean, if I remember correctly, that's right along with the band. And he just plays majestically. And he was never the same since. I mean, after that, he played completely differently. Wow. Well, we should talk uh, about what you're doing now because the magic is still happening. The Michael O'Mardian collaboration is still happening. And you've got a new set of tunes, what, nine tunes for a record that is coming out soon. Tell us about this project and and when we can expect to hear it. Well, I'm hoping, you know, probably pretty soon, you know, maybe within, I, I'm hoping to drop some singles here within the next couple of months. You know, it's always strange doing an independent release, you know, because you, you want people to actually hear it <laughs> and it's kind of difficult, but you know, I was really blessed. I mean, I, I had, I had laid a few tunes down. I'm not a, I wasn't a songwriter and, and, you know, then all of a sudden I found myself writing some things and people said, Hey, that's really good. I went, it is. And I'm okay. Yeah. I'm packed. Like, all right. You know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had finished this one song. Rob had recorded one with me and, uh, 
you know, I was, I needed piano on this new song I was working on. And I went in, uh, I was going to go in and, and cut a, a little, you know, I'm building it from the ground up. I'm doing it, starting with a click, acoustic guitar, sing the vocal, add the drums, add the bass, you know, that kind of thing. That's the only way I can afford to do it. You know, I can't hire a band to go in and play it all live. So, um, you know, Rob was scheduled to come play uh, on it in Austin from California. And uh, sadly, between the time we talked and the time he was going to record it, he was killed, you know, and um, uh, he was walking home from his uh, from a convenience store in Studio City and a drunk driver ran over him. And, and it was pretty heavy because, I mean, Rob and I were pretty close, even though we hadn't spent a lot of time together in a number of years. But it was a pretty big blow. And, of course, it was a huge blow to Chris because they were very close and, and, and we're still working together. And, you know, I had keyboard players that could play the track in Austin. And it was just like every time I would think of a name, I mean, really great players. And I would just go, something's not right about this. You know, it's like and I just went, I need Michael O'Mardian. That's that's the sound I need. But I didn't have any way to get in touch with Michael. I had, I didn't know him very well, and I hadn't spoken with him in 20 years or so. And I just, everybody had lost contact with him. I mean, I knew he'd moved to Nashville, but Chet didn't have any contact for him, and I didn't, and, you know, Andy certainly didn't. And, and um, you know, in a weak moment, I just emailed Chris and said, hey, man, I got a song. We've lost Rob. He was supposed to plan it would you call Michael O'Marty and ask him to play on my song? I mean, that's pretty bold, you know. I mean, you know, Michael has sold 350 million records. You know, he was the original keyboard player for Loggins and Messina. He played, he arranged and played, you know, Accordion on Piano Man by Billy Joel. I mean, his discography, if anybody cares to look it up, is one of the most outstanding in the world. Um you know, I'm a little guy that used to play on a record he did, you know, 40 years ago. Before I could hear back from Chris, I had an email from Michael going, hey, what's up? Mm, wow. You want me to play? Your, let me hear your song. I'd like to hear it. So he said, give me a call. So I called him up and I sent him the song and he said, that's you. That's great, man. You're singing great. Wow. You played the drums solid as ever. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah, I'd love to play them. Uh, would you mind if I played some organ? Like, <laughs> Would I mind? <laughs> Well, well, right. I mean, I'm looking at this going like, well, first of all, nobody's going to ask if they can do something more than you ask them to do unless they think it's good enough to play on, you know? I mean, so, I mean, that's, that's right. Yeah. This guy's done such major stuff. I mean, for him to even listen to my song is pretty amazing. So um, he did that, you know, he played on it. What he sent me back, I mean, was just so ridiculous. I couldn't even believe it. You know, I freaked out. I mean, I mean, that's a whole story in itself. But so. I had another song finished and, you know, I, I, I had somebody else play it and the track was good, but it, it didn't kind of live up to that, you know, and they're quite capable. And I just, but I just thought, well, what if I, what if I got Michael to play again? I wonder if he would play another song. So I, I, I messaged him saying, hey, would you play another song for me? He said, send me whatever you like. I'll play whatever you like. I like your stuff. Let me hear it. I like to hear it. So he ended up playing on all nine songs. What's the uh, what's the style of the record? Can you explain that for people? I think it's kind of singer songwriter. I mean, I don't know. God, it's hard. It's, it's it's strangely, it's not very. There's not much guitar on the record. I mean, there's acoustic on everything because I played it. But it's pretty. It's based a lot around the piano, you know, and organ. Um, 
you know, it's singer songwriter kind of stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's, there's, they're deep album cuts. I mean, there's not a lot of singles, but it's kind of a, you know, I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's lyrically like that. I mean, there's certainly some, there's some Christopher Cross sounding stuff in there because I mean, you know, I, I love Chris's writing. So, I mean, you know, he's, he's kind of one, he's, he's part of my deck of cards. Sure. You know, you know, Elton Johnny, uh, you know, Van Morrison, you know, uh, Don Henley, you know, it's got a lot of those kinds of sensibilities in it. Maybe I don't know. Um, you know, it's uh, how, how do I describe it? How do you describe yourself? It's always different. Yeah, uh, right. you know, who does the uh, audio work for you? Are you doing the the mixing, and or you have someone doing that for you? But you know, I I, I have a co-producer, Mark Holman. Uh, he produced Carol King, most notably, um, which is that's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, He's worked with a lot of artists, uh, Ian Matthews, um, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of people from the Austin area, you know, Ani DeFranco, he, he worked a lot with, too. She's pretty contemporary, pretty big. But um, you can look him up, too. I mean, he's done a lot of work. Um, he's a great producer and somebody that I always really thought, well, this guy would be great to work with because I don't I, I can I, I'm doing a lot of the production myself, but I need that. I need that shoulder to lean yeah. on. And he's also a great engineer and a great vocalist and he can play a lot of multi-instrumental stuff. Um, I've got uh, Roscoe Beck played most of the bass on that. He was Leonard Cohen's musical director and he, he worked with Eric and me as well. And, and uh, you know, and Robin Ford and uh, Mark Andes from heart and, and, uh, and Farfall played bass on a couple of tracks. And um, you know, it's a, uh, it's not a lot of, a lot of luminaries, but there's really solid people on the, on the yeah, record. that's a pretty impressive lineup. We actually, we talked to Mark, yeah. uh, in, in jock way back when great guys, what a wonderful guy he is. And he, he, you know, he ended up being on these, uh, on these couple of tunes because they were kind of involved in a couple of different bands that we were in. And I lifted them out of those projects that never came to fruition. Um, I have a great, a, a great, uh, chromatic harmonica player that plays on that first song I was telling you about named Will Gallison. Uh, out of Manhattan, and he's he's probably one of the best in the world ever. He played with Sting. He played with Donald Fagan. I mean, he's a wow. pretty major guy. And you know, it was just a miracle that I got it. He just he liked the song. He said, "Yeah, I'd love to play it." He played this amazing outro on one of the songs. It's just, I don't know, you know, it's pretty humbling. It's amazing what can happen when you take a flyer and send an email and say, hey, "What's the worst they can say is no." So. I mean, that's really what, what happened to me so much. I just kind of said, well, look, man, I got nothing to lose here, you know? And, uh, and the, but really, truly Michael's input has been the most, I mean, he, he played organ, he played grand piano, he played accordion, he did full orchestrations on four or five songs, you know? I mean, wow. it's pretty lush, you know, it's, it's pretty. Cannot wait pretty- to hear that. It's, um, We'll look for that starting this summer, trickling out in single format, but the album's going to be called What to Say of the Gold? Yep, yep. Look that's forward to that, and that's going to be awesome. I mean, you say how you describe it. I can kind of hear it when you start mentioning the personnel and your style, so it's going to be really cool. I can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I, I think it's, you know, I mean, you know, we had a, I mean, what happened to Christopher Cross, you know, I mean, we came out with with that record, and that was kind of the 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 most commercial side of what we were about. And then that kind of took off. So Chris kind of started leaning more in that kind of commercial vein, obviously, because that's that's where he's that's where his bread and butter is. You know, there was we were pretty there were some pretty deep, deep cuts that never saw the light of day. I mean, I'm not that that it's that deep, but I kind of I love what we were about as a band. And I've kind of 
I mean, this is kind of a good segue in into that, you know, into where I would have gone maybe had we had we stayed, you know, in the, in that in that vein, you know. So uh, that'll be that'll be very interesting to see. Okay, it's not very yachty. It's okay. <laughs> That's okay. We'll have you back on to talk about it, yacht or yacht. Sometimes we're not very yachty, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been awesome. Good luck with the new project. Um, hopefully this new uh, resurgence of Yacht Rock is finding its way to you and um, sort of reigniting the flame. But before we let you go, the last thing I was going to ask before you go is um, your four chapters into writing a book as well. Right. So that is that coming out in 2022? Boy, you know, that's a hard book because I'm writing the story of my involvement with Christopher Cross. And it's a pretty deep subject and it's pretty involved. I have a really, like, I've got a near photographic memory for places and events. So I've got a lot of material and, and then you have to sit down and kind of write it in a, in a way where people will enjoy it. So uh, I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping to, to, to get that. I don't think it'll be out this year, but hopefully I could sit down. I, I actually sat down and worked on another chapter, basically the, another page portion of the, uh, of the, of the story uh, the other night, my, you know, uh, a, a person who was involved with me managerially wise for a while suggested that I not try to do it in chronological order, you know, but maybe take a chapter at the end and do that and then go back to the beginning and stuff. It might find it easy. So that's kind of what I'm doing. You know? Cool. Good. Well, thank you so much for coming on, for filling in the blanks, uh, correcting some of our mistakes, throwing a few of the flags. Yep. Um, it was great, Tommy. We can't wait to hear the new record. I, I'd love to read the book and, these are all just excuses to get you back on the show in the future. Well, great. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. With it. I mean, like I said, I warned you before we went on, I'm pretty wordy, but uh, uh, there's a lot of the stuff that Christopher Cross stuff that, you know, that we still didn't touch on. Glad, to, glad to talk more. If you want to do it. Oh, it's fine. Good. Very good. Okay. Well, good. John, you yeah. got anything else or should we let uh, Tommy get back to life in Zurich? No, I'm going to uh, make some notes and we'll uh, maybe reconvene again uh, down the road with Tommy. I'd like to do that. Great. Love it guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Really. Fantastic. All right. Take care. Okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, once again, that was a, a lot of fun. Uh, Tommy messaged us afterwards and asked if it sounded like he had too much caffeine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. I mean, of course, I don't know what to compare it to, but he sounded fine. That's true. Full That's of energy. True. Yeah. 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 That was fun, though, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Being able to get the inside story on this stuff is, I mean, it's what this whole podcast was a dream about was, you know, if we could get in and, and talk to some of these guys. I mean, for our own enjoyment, much less the fact that we have listeners. It's just great. Yeah, I know. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, should we head into the lightning round? I would say yes to that. Well, uh, you going to go first this time? Yeah, I'll go first. You might as well. I'm going to, uh, you know, the very first episode of this season, we talked about the day the yacht sank. Yeah. Right. And uh, that day is sometime in 1985. Right. So I'm going to a 1985 song to see if it floats your boat. Oh, all right. That's it good. It's from 
It's from the next Christopher Cross record. Okay. Which is Every Turn of the World. Now, this is not going to have Tommy Taylor on it. I believe the drums here are uh, John Robinson. Oh. But do you find this song? You're going to hear some elements of 1985, and you're going to hear some elements of Yacht Rock in this song. So does this song float your boat? It's Love is Love. Well, I want to say, and I just can't. I just can't. When I hear those drums, you know me, I, I focus right on how are the drums produced. That tells me everything I need to know. And I hear that snare drum. I'm thinking, I, I just I just can't do yeah. it. I can't do it. It's, um, it's too harsh. It's all of those digital things that we talked about in the episode are all on display there. And while I hear his voice, it immediately takes my mind there because I associate his voice so strongly with Yacht Rock, but nothing in the rest of it works for me in a Yacht Rock setting. What about the oceanic sound effects in the intro or the uh, marimba, <laughs> the Trojan horse elements? The seagull intro just feels like the Trojan horse is being pushed in <laughs> inside the gates, you know? Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm not a uh, Yachtsky scorer, but if I were... I would Ooh. give that song a 50 because I do hear yacht elements, but I hear a lot of yacht elements, all, all the things you said. But um, it's got just enough for me. Barely. Oh, interesting. Chin, chin, chin. Yep. What do you got for uh, Does It Float Your Boat? Well, we had uh, something sent to us from listener Glenn. And this was um, an interesting uh, quandary as I listened to it. And uh, I'm going to just kind of lay it out there for you first and see what your response is, and then I can kind of fill in any any gaps that maybe you don't hit on. Uh, this is from the Allman Brothers Band, and it's from 1981, Brothers of the Road album. And he's just asked us, does this song float your boat? And it's called Straight from the Heart. Straight from the heart. Straight from the heart. thoughts on that sir uh so i don't remember how you respond i'm assuming you responded to the listener craig didn't you i did Mm -hmm. okay Uh, i don't remember how you responded i am going to say that that is a close but no cigar um something about the vocals it's too raspy it's too much of the almond brothers um having said that so it's a no having said that i am currently in the process of putting it into my yacht rock inspired playlist so there <laughs> oh, you yeah, go. you've had the word inspired now i see it's that's officially out. yacht rock inspired and more so if oh, that's not hanging, got, i don't know what it's two outs okay <laughs> well uh you probably went and uh read what my comments were because that, that was the no same i don't thing remember that- Okay, the the um the gruff vocal kind of puts it outside for me. Uh, it I mean, right out of the gate, you hear what sounds like yacht rock inspired. You know, everything was being influenced by everything else, and you could definitely hear it in the keyboard pattern, which then kind of becomes part of the vocal uh, harmony melodies in the 
choruses. That part feels yachty. But I would say the gruff vocal and the drums, the drum performance and the drum production is a little more less than the polished yacht rock thing that I would expect. So if I were to rate it, going back to your trick, uh, I might give it a 42 or so. So we're we're probably in about the same area. If it was like a song that I really knew and it had a nostalgia factor to it, it might get five more points. So but that would still be a 47, you know, because sometimes gotcha. the nostalgia thing kind of puts something over the top for me. But All right. really nice pick, though, because it's so close and it's come from such a far off place. So it's a really cool pick. Uh, yeah, I love it. It's a good tune. Well done. All right. Well, what do you have for uh, Buried Treasures? Well, coincidentally enough, I have a Greg Allman song. And mm. I I heard this the first time. I know it was on Yacht Rock Miami because I made a note of that. And I want to give them credit for finding the deep stuff that uh, I'm not going to say no one else does, but they're really known for Uh 1977, Greg Allman had Willie Weeks on the album, Neil Larson on the album, Victor Feldman, Marty Page, Bill Payne, Dr. John. They're all on it. Uh, produced by Russ Teitelman and Lenny Warrenker, and they were sort of influences of Ted Templeman. So uh, this is called Crying Shame. It's a cry. That's got some filth to it mm-hmm. in a good mm-hmm. way. Ooh. Uh, you can't. This is not a video podcast, but uh, you would have seen me making the bass face when that kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good tune. All right, I'm adding that to my list as well. Yeah, that uh, one, uh, it brings that Rhodes front and center, and that that is an immediate trigger for me if I were to, you know, in a float your boat situation. But that one did get rated by the OGs, and they give it a 55.5. So, oh, okay. so it is truly a buried treasure because it is certified. So we're on to off of the map. Yes. And uh, I'm going to start by offering. No, wait, I didn't do my buried treasure yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go back. And that's where I'm going to start in uh, with an apology because we had a voice message in our inbox, which I didn't even know existed until I was reminded of it just yesterday, that we have a voice inbox uh, from listener Phil, a different listener Phil than we've spoken of in the past. And he unearthed a real buried treasure. And I'm just going to have, since we owe him an apology, I'm going to give him some airtime and I'm going to let him tell you. In 1983, Ted Templeman, the producer of the Doobie Brothers, signed and produced a young band called Carrera, C-A-R-R-E-R-A. Very little is known about this band. A song called Lucky One. It's about as yacht rock I think as it gets. You're just a New York boy Selling sparks that blood the sky And they say That you're the lucky one You just let the way get away And when you're running out in the night You can see That you're the Oh, yeah. Now I remember that one. That You're right. That was a while ago. I remember we both listened to that. 
Uh, and I went searching because the, the only place we could find it was YouTube. And the upload on YouTube is very poor. It's distorted. It's whether, I, I don't know, it, somebody maxed it out and it comes through all distorted, at least on my end. But um, it's a, especially the high end is really like all fizzed out. But that that is... That's stellar. Yeah, I'd not never heard of Carrera. Yeah, a great, great find, listener Phil. Apology for the delay and getting it out there, but better late than never. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, cool. Now, so you do now, off the map. I do do off the map. Do do. Uh, I do do. And I'm going to go back to that uh, that Eric Johnson record. Oh, all right. And uh, which one did I pick last time? Do you remember? Uh, no, that's up okay. for you to figure good, out. Good. That no one will remember. I actually, I believe it was uh, Friends. Sounds right. And so now I'm going to hit you with a song that I believe was record for, recorded for an earlier session, like like even from the late 70s. Um, oh. Needs citation, but I, I wasn't able to follow exactly <laughs> what they were trying to say on Wikipedia. But here's a cool tune off that same record, Tones, with Tommy Taylor on drums. This one is called Zap. Whatever he's doing there at the beginning, the, it doesn't sound like he's picking those notes. They all sound like hammer-ons or something. Maybe one of the guitar aficionados in the group can let us know exactly what he's doing there. But Because uh, then eventually when it kicks in full, you can hear that he's going to a regular, more picked style. But something really cool is happening on that intro. As are, there is in the drums as well. So I just wanted to make sure everyone hears Tommy Taylor rocking it. Because uh, he's got some some mean rock chops as well as what we hear on the Christopher Cross stuff. So Indeed. All right. Well, you wrap us up with your uh, off the map. All right. Uh, this doesn't really connect at all. It's just one that I've been saving for a while. And um, I know that in a few weeks, we're supposed to have our examination of Kenny Loggins High Adventure album with uh, mm. another drummer. Tristan Bowden is going to come back and join us and talk through that record. And uh, so that got me kind of just going back and listening to it. And I wanted to find a deep cut on that that I could just kind of bring forward and focus on. So I don't know if this is buried treasure, probably more off the map because it's not a super yachty track. Uh, but this is called It Must Be My Imagination. That's cool. Um, I'm hearing shades of uh, 1985 in that as well. What year is High Adventure? That is 1982, but uh, Tris was sort of ahead of the game with getting Simmons drums going, he told, told us about. So he, you hear the Simmons in there. Yep, for um, sure. I'm sure you're not fond of the synth bass, but I was surprised when I looked it up because I thought that, oh, is that, that may be Lukather on guitar. Some of that rhythm stuff sounded like Luke to me. Mm. Turns out it's Neil Giraldo from Pat Benatar's band Ooh. and Husband. Yeah. I just heard, uh, what's, uh, oh shoot, what the heck song was it? One of their hits. Oh, I just, and he wails a guitar solo in it. Oh, I remember what it was. All fired up. Oh, you yeah. You got the oh, guitar yeah. solo in that. Oh, yeah, my yeah, yeah. God. Okay. 
he rips. Anyways, we're off track, uh, right. and we're out of time. Uh, that's it, right? We've attended to all of our business, I believe. I th- I, I, uh, is there anything left? Well, we can thank uh, Tommy Taylor again, and uh, then we could just end it however you want to end it. I would uh, maybe say uh, the end. Yeah. No, no. Ahoy polloi. There it is. Mm-hmm.